Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast, where we're trawling our way through the later seasons, episode by episode. Because, you know, I think they deserve it. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N Hart, I thank you very much. And this week we're going to be covering Season 8, Episodes 23 and 24. The Sounds of Silence and Father Knows Beast. Bit of a critical roller coaster this time round, as we appear to be dealing with the uh, highest rated episode of the season and uh, the second lowest back to back. I'll leave it up to you to determine which way round that is. First of all, before we get started, uh, I just want to say thank you to anybody who's uh, rated me on Spotify. That's very much appreciated. It was a nice surprise when I realised I actually had enough ratings to have a rating displayed so yeah thank you very kind yes apologies in advance uh, in a slight bit of irony uh, i must have nudged the game before i recorded this episode so unfortunately there are some slightly unpleasant vocal peaks in this episode uh, i've tried to mitigate it in post and I will be careful not to make the same mistake again going forward. But for now, uh, my apologies. Hope it doesn't disrupt your enjoyment of the show too much. And uh, yeah, um, thanks for listening. But before I get off prattling, why don't we embrace the sounds of silence? Which was first aired September the 29th, 2018, and was written by one Gregory Bonsignore. Or is that Bonsignor? It's Gregory's one and only contribution to the show. And, um, interesting life. Interesting career. Playwright in residence at the Library of Alexandria. Writer of an award-winning play called Gorgonzola, A Cautionary Sicilian Tale. Has written a children's book called that's Betty, the story of Betty White, and has written for television, contributing episodes to shows ranging from Transformers Rescue Bots to Homeland. So, um, yeah. The episode gets a 9.1 aggregate on IMDb, making it one of the highest rated episodes of the show altogether. And the synopsis there reads, Fluttershy and Applejack journey to the edge of the map on a friendship quest to help a group of creatures called Kirin, who are so afraid of hurting each other's feelings, they've taken a vow of silence. Excellent synopsis. Ironically very talky intro. Not in a really problematic way. It's pretty fast-paced. And um, it's nice to see Applejack taking the lead a bit. Makes you realise how, how much she's been relegated to a side character, increasingly. She feels more confident and uh, less one-joke-ish. Yeah, it's a slight cause for concern, I will admit, re-watching this when you've got uh, full-on scaredy-pony Fluttershy and explain the plot Twilight. Not that there's anything actually particularly obtrusive about any of the, the background offered here. It's not like broken, contrived exposition or anything. Not going to get into that again. It's fine. We will note that... Uh, Fluttershy and Applejack make direct reference back to their journey together to Las Pegasus. It turns out that they're the first couple of ponies who have been rematched by the cutie map. 
Maybe the cutie map knows that their last adventure was kind of poop, so is seeking to restore the galactic balance. Once we get into the episode proper, yeah, this is a this is a proper hiking adventure. This one, I've said this a lot this season, but this feels like another app that has a real classic sort of season one feel to it. Seems to have a more conventional character balance for once, as I've mentioned. But beyond that, tonally, this episode just strikes a nice sweet spot, I think. It has a big, kindly message. A good message that it's unashamed to clarify. And it lacks the air of sort of apologetic metaness that can sometimes creep in in later seasons. It's not been a big problem, I don't think. And in fact, it's contributed to some very entertaining episodes, at least for the older audience. This episode is a sort of macrocosm for the, the tone of the show at its best. It's earnest, but it knows it. It's a kid's show, but it gives it everything it's got. And as such, transcends those sort of labels by just being well-constructed, well-paced and entertaining. And often kind of laugh-out-loud funny. Big dragon-shy vibes with Applejack navigating the perilous obstacles in their path, only to find that Fluttershy has not, in fact, been following her at all. The audience is a step ahead there, because... <laughs> They can see that Fluttershy is not there in any of these shot compositions, so it just adds a nice bit of comic expectation. And the same thing in reverse, with her being hounded by the flies, is uh, it's very funny. Nice, almost Simpsons-esque gag with the ticket inspector, who I believe we've seen before. Someone who seems aware and takes rather too much delight in there being the ticket inspector at the end of the road. I'll, I'll get to the the piece de resistance of this episode, but I do want to make slightly more mention of, of how well-structured this episode is, with us being kind of wrong-footed into thinking that Fluttershy is just uh, scared or unprepared for an adventure when she's actually, through her own skills, found the correct way forward, and Applejack's the one who's just thoughtlessly reactive, in a way. It's an interesting matchup, these two. And in this episode, it is obvious why they're paired together. The episode depends on their skills and character. Whereas in Las Pegasus, it really could have been any of the main six at all. It felt just like a, a boilerplate children's script scenario that you could just randomly chuck any bunch of characters into and it wouldn't make any difference. Which, for me, certainly made it a very shallow and unnourishing experience. <laughs> but here, they wouldn't have found their way or the cure for the silence blight they come across without Fluttershy. But they wouldn't have known what to do and why it needed to be done without Applejack arguing the case so eloquently. The ultimate argument between silence to prevent you from hurting someone's feelings and the need to express and be direct. I mean... That is a perfect Fluttershy and Applejack binary, if you think about it. And going back to the structure, <laughs> fleetingly, this is one of the better examples, they've done it a couple of times, of an episode where they're sent out by the cutie map to find a friendship problem, and you think they've found it, and then there's that rug pull. You know, more than halfway through the episode here, you think that 
All that needs to happen is Applejack needs to get back and find a way of making everybody speak. But the actual wrinkle is the opposition between Fluttershy and Applejack. Again, very well prepared as a bit of a bomb drop by the writer because they come together and they both accidentally ex- say exactly the same thing at the same time and chuckle. It's like they're on, they're on the same wavelength, they're one mind... And then Applejack just assumes that Fluttershy is going to agree with her. (gasps) Fluttershy, guess what? I figured out the friendship problem. Me too. Go ahead. (laughs) Bet that's a problem the Kira never have. (laughs) No. Anyhow, we got to get them all talking again. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't ever let that happen. There is logic behind both sides here. And for someone so unassertive, partly because she's afraid of upsetting or hurting people, it's perfectly logical Fluttershy's going to land on the side of the Kirin village. And Applejack, yeah, she's, she can't help but speak her mind. I suppose it could have been Rainbow Dash. But, you know, I'm glad it's Applejack. She's not had a great shake through this show. And she's always been a favourite of mine. When she is written well, I think she's excellent. And yeah, as I'm sure I've posited before, at her best, she's works as a backbone, the support behind the group. And here, she's, she is more of a support role, even though she kind of comes across as the main character. Initially, she's there to support Fluttershy, uh, and then she's there to support Autumn Blaze. So much to say, so much to do! We're coming to her. But unfortunately, I get the impression that not a lot of writers are that keen on writing for her, perhaps because of this. And so she's often just like a one-joke character. Like, oh, uh, Applejack, say something honest. Oh, say something about apples. I think there's actually only one apple-related comment in this, uh, which is a refreshing change. New minute made apple sparkle. Absolutely crisp. But yeah, at the centre of all of this is Autumn Blaze. Not only does she have a great design, not only is she incredibly expressive and is just fundamentally likeable as this character that is just thrilled by the idea of speech and communication to an almost irritating extent, but the voice performance. The voice performance. Gotta be one of the best guest performances in the show. She has had quite a lot of credits in some quite high-profile shows. She had a pretty substantial returning role in Bojack Horseman. Quiet! Has had a recurring role in The Simpsons. And, speak of the devil, the reboot of Reboot. And she also seems to have had substantial roles in Trolls World Tour and myriad roles in the recent Chip and Dale movie. So, yeah. Oh, no, it's not that time of the show yet. Not only does she provide this sort of wonderful, breathless excitement, sort of stumbling over her words without it sounding at all contrived, I think she also provides the the singing voice too. Not many of the main cast actually do that. I think Ashley Ball and uh, Michelle Kraber for Apple Bloom, I think they might be the exceptions there. Uh, Tell me I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. The song is kind of the centre point uh, of the episode it's a good song it seems particular effort has been put into it actually because that sounds to me like a a, like a real horn section i mean usually probably because of the budget of the show they would rely on vst's samples but no it really gives it a sense of color and and scale 
But it's used in the best way, I think, which is simultaneously to explain the backstory and to offer a, a sort of potted character profile for Autumn Blaze. I think it's really nice that uh, another unusual touch there's a reprise at the end which just hammers home the point of the episode without them having to say it directly to the camera I mean there was a little bit of that but it's never over the top in terms of the the explanation in this episode I can forgive Applejack and Fluttershy basically saying oh if it wasn't for you bringing your skills this wouldn't have happened and if it wasn't for you bringing your skills etc in part because this is an episode that deals a lot with uh, emotions and uh, responses. And I think it can help with younger people who tend to be brought up on programming, which does, in general, focus on acts rather than feelings. Uh, it probably does help just to have that capped off in a, in a very literal, written way. And yeah, as mentioned, I think this has a really nice message. It is really good to have the show dealing with difficult emotions how to deal with them how to sit with them how to express them and i think the most important thing the episode does for me is to acknowledge that anger's okay expressing anger is fine that's not the problem it's how it's expressed and that's a super important lesson but it isn't just an enforcement as i imply it's it's making sure that people know that it is okay if you get upset with your friends or you, you have arguments or there's a little bit of tension. It, it's not the end of the world. You're not, you're not going to lose them if the, if the relationship means something. I mean, it feels like I'm, I'm going back to certain points I made in Road to Friendship, but it feels like this is articulated in a different way. Perhaps because that was more about the resilience of friendship, whereas this focuses more on one's own ability to express dissatisfaction and express it satisfactorily. And I do like the fact that the the Kirin Nirik thing is used as a like a Jekyll and Hyde alter ego for the the parts of yourself that might be a little more destructive. So it's less perhaps anger than rage. Now the concept of the Kirin or Kilin is an ancient Eastern folkloric one uh, from several regions. Uh, it seems that this is particularly leaning into the Japanese one, which describes the appearance of the mythical Kirin as a dragon shaped like a deer, but with an ox's tail and a partially unicorn-like appearance with a backwards curving horn. Well, I can't actually find any sort of analogue for the Nirik in any of these things. It was probably invented for the show. It is interesting that the Chinese depiction of the Kirin, or Kilin, does kind of look like a flaming cross between a horse and a dragon. So, eh, who knows? 
Though, reading a bit more about the story behind the killing, uh, I think Applejack and Fluttershy should probably ring home. Apparently, Kirin are said to appear with the imminent arrival or passing of a sage or illustrious ruler. Well, Celestia's had a good innings. Yeah, the Kirin, as portrayed in this episode, Autumn Blaze in particular, uh, were a big instant hit with the fandom. I think the Kirin sort of galvanised the fan content community and the, the gif and meme making side of the community probably more than any episode since about season two. I was reminded of the uh, the quantity of gifs from this, not only with the seemingly uncomprehending head tilt that the unspeaking Kirin often do, but also the, the wavy hooves gesture. <laughs> Like one of those garage inflatables. They're kind of like pony Vulcans. The Vulcans from Star Trek. Having started as a very uh, aggressive, warlike species, but they uh, tried to solve the issues caused by this by extricating themselves from emotion systematically, altogether. And while one sees the (laughs) logic of this, as flawed as it may be, But this episode is right to suggest, I think, that if you try and shut yourself off from expression altogether, you shut yourself off from experiencing life directly. And uh, while darker emotions can cause issues in the way they are articulated, they are part of the same spectrum of expression as expressions of love and joy. But you don't need me explaining all of this. The concept of the Nyric, I think, is a good way of illustrating to to kids what they can do when they are overcome by their feelings of anger. Take some time away to be a Nyric where it won't hurt any pony. As much as, as an adult viewer, you know, I, I do like how relevant a lot of these messages can be to the mature audience. I am always very appreciative of these things being put well two kids because these are difficult difficult things to learn and well somewhat contradicting what i just said i think i like a lot of other adults still have issues with expressing this stuff constructively and knowing when is the appropriate time to express it i would probably be more on the fluttershy side in general where i would bite my lip and sort of bottle it up for too long And then by the time I did step up to say something, I would have let it become subsumed by by weasel words and platitudes out of fear of upsetting someone. Well, that's the risk with me, I would say. Stray observations? A couple of unfortunately slightly dated cultural references in the song. Sudoku. And a spoiler alert. OMG. Rufflecopters. No, I'm being harsh. But... Yeah, it's not like Applejack suddenly starts referencing a film where someone has to remove one of his own limbs or die. I mean, imagine that in a show like this. What a terrible idea that would be. And also in the cold open, in what could either be regarded as a a neat bit of continuity or an unnecessary imposition, there's a mention of Rock Hoof. (sighs) Didn't think I'd have to speak about him in this episode. It's also nice to hear... A knock-knock joke that's contextually relevant and I haven't heard before. In fact, it's a knock-knock joke that would make no sense outside the circumstance Applejack is in. I mean, you could say, police, 
Equestria doesn't have police. But, you know, who cares? Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. It's a shame Monsignor never got to actually write for the show again. Because this is great. Do you know, it's really refreshing and really pleasing when I actually get to agree with the consensus for once. This is a very funny, well-structured, really well-paced episode with a superb guest performance, a great new race of characters that still seem to cast a considerable hold over the fandom after one appearance, basically. There's something about this episode, perhaps, that elevates it a bit above other episodes from this season that I love. It feels oddly timeless. It's an episode that, without the friendship map conceit, could have existed in any season of the show, I feel. Not because it feels by the numbers, but because it plays into a lot of inherent strengths. It knows how to use the characters well. It plays into their skill sets, their differences. And it sticks to its guns with its message, rather than either treating it like a a necessary thing to be stapled on a la season two, or just getting subsumed in sort of fourth wall breaking commentary. It has a lovely mid-ground feel, this one. A nice balance. Feels like it has a little bit of a purer spirit than a lot of the more recent episodes. Well, that's a criticism of them. There have been some brilliant episodes recently, and I really enjoy the later seasons. But it is just nice to be reminded of this sort of warm, innocent core of the show. Is this the best episode of the season so far? Possibly. 9.5. It's not over yet. We have had a run of really good episodes here. If IMDB is to B-E-B-E-L-I-E-V-E-D, that ends here. Father Knows Beast was first aired October the 6th, 2018, and was written by Josh Haber. Uh, it's Josh Haber. I've talked about him about a trillion times. He's the, he's the showrunner now. It has a pointed 5.8 aggregate rating on IMDb, where the synopsis reads, When a strange dragon crash lands in Ponyville, claiming to be Spike's father, Spike is ready to do anything his dad says in order to learn how to be a real dragon. Yeah, some familiar themes here. I wouldn't say they're overdone, and it is interesting that the show takes a risk by introducing a potential father figure for Spike. That's pretty serious stuff. Of course, It's not Spike's dad, which kind of casts a pall over this episode, doesn't it? Haber does perhaps go a little too far in building up this disappointment, to a point where it actively just becomes a bit depressing. Well, that's all in the past. The only thing that matters now is that we're together, and I'm going to make up for last time. I hope you don't mind, but I have a list of all the things I always wanted to do with my dad. Mind? Spike, my boy, with you by my side, I feel like we can do anything. What do you want to do first? Well, I've kind of been working on a list for a long time. Dude, you want to do all of this? Oh, I mean, we don't have to. I think it would have actually perhaps been more interesting... If it was Spike's dad, and it wasn't just this 
dead-end deadbeat who comes in, mixes things up, and then leaves Spike with nothing from the experience. Because I do like that it is reinforced how much his actual family is simply the people he has been raised by rather than the biological parents. And that it does have a nice little arc with a very well-meaning Twilight who wants the best for Spike, but is obviously very hurt by uh, his facing a different direction, really. When Spike implies that Twilight isn't his real parent, it is literally heartbreaking. I do like Twilight in this. I think she's very well depicted. The problem is, though, that once you've established that basically Spike is going to get used and then dumped, you've already created a bit of an issue in a show like this, I think. I suspect that perhaps it wasn't as clear originally uh, that Sludge wasn't Spike's father. But it's played off far sort of more comedically. Like, it's it's abundantly, broadly clear, pretty much from the outset, that he's on the make. And this does stretch credibility uh, and, and sort of cheapens what's actually happening in the episode. The issue is, though, if you went the other way and made it a complete shock at the end, like a shock betrayal that everyone was surprised by, that would be too upsetting, I think, for this show and this audience. I mean, that would be a real deadening experience. I really would have had to play heavily into the, the, the Twilight mother role there. And I don't think one episode to have this all transpiring would be satisfactory to deal with that. Because it would feel more hurtful than this sort of, let's be frank, sort of Fred Flintstone-ish figure coming in and uh, eating all the cake. <laughs> Let's have a look at the reviews. Now, in the IMDb reviews, we have a, a fair mix. We have one positive review, we have one middling review, and we have one 1 out of 10 review. I'll be honest, the 1 out of 10 review is one of the worst reviews I've ever read in my life. It seems to be about everything but the episode, and I'm really not sure where some of these conclusions were drawn from. It's very brief. So, uh... <clears throat> Who would have thought that Josh Haber, the most left-wing radical writer in children's television next to the jokes over at Steven Universe, would make an episode about his daddy issues? Terrible script, terrible episode. That's the review. Does Josh Haber have daddy issues? Can't even find sufficient biographical information to deduce anything about his parentage at all. The most left-wing radical writer in children's television? What are you basing that on? Let's have a look at his hardline socialist screeds then, shall we? Road to Friendship. That's Das Kapital, isn't it? Maltdown. The Crystalling. Well, if the Crystalling doesn't make you want to go and murder the Russian royal family, I don't know what will. I mean, yeah, I think beheading Luna in that episode was a step too far. And the part where the, the rest of the main six seize all of Applejack's assets and have them redistributed. Yeah, I, I, I guess I can see that. I've spent far too much time on this utterly feeble review, so I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> it's 
barely even a review. The good review is titled, um, This Was Good. So, well, it's concise. It does mention that it's a bit too predictable. I can see that, certainly in the way that uh, Sludge is depicted very broadly as being, you know, on the make. And it's it's not an unfamiliar storyline, but unfortunately, I think this is a reality that a lot of kids or people who, who just have parents that return out of the blue just have to deal with. Hopefully they won't be as transparently awful as Sludge. Hopefully they won't be awful writer comments that it's nice to see Spike learn how to use his wings at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked that as well. I thought that was very cute. And also it is a nice bit of backdrop to the episode that trying as much as she can, and she is being very supportive and encouraging, Twilight isn't considering that it might be a little different if you're a dragon flying. And so, uh, yeah, Spike's having issues. And then Smolder steps in in a, in a guardian role, which I think is a really good role that she did before in Maltdown. I like that. You know, she, she is a bit aloof, but it is nice that she evidently does care about Spike and is kind of taking him under her wing as a sort of big sister. But yeah, the mid, the mid one is probably the most interesting review here. Like the chemistry between Spike and Smolder. Yeah, that's agreed. Pointing out the strong performances, particularly in the scenes between Kathy Weslock and Tara Strong. Yep, I agree with that. Lovely performances by both. Now on the, the negative tip, which is kind of the, the ultimate thrust of the of the review. Uh, the reviewer feels it comes a bit out of the blue. Sludge, Sludge's interjection. I'm like, well, yeah, it does. It's, he's a chancer. And mentions that uh, it would have been preferred if the episode delved deeper into the relationship between Spike and Twilight, uh, which they feel to be underused. I, I, I think as it stands, I think it's strong enough here. And I think it's certainly implicit. We don't need it reiterating a lot. And I think Twilight is portrayed as a very caring guardian throughout who reacts in a way that a parent might. So I don't know that that needs to be necessarily reinforced in the episode as it stands. However, that's in part because uh, of the sort of broad portrayal of Sludge, though. So maybe in an episode where it took itself a little more seriously, it would be necessary to step into that Spike and Twilight relationship a bit more, I think. And some bit more generic criticisms. Uh, I'm not don't think hold a tremendous amount of water, to be honest. Just saying, oh, it's. I wish it hadn't been as thin. Like, well, what do you? What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, it feels somewhat bland. Why? Could have done with a tighter pace. Could it? I, I don't know. Explain. <laughs> I think it's all right pacing myself, but the Twilight heartbreaking scene was too cartoonish. It was too juvenile to make it an emotional moment. Ah, uh, yeah, I can see that. I don't think it. it steps on anything though quite but i can see where you're coming from it didn't need to be there but the biggest issue they seem to have is that sludge is one-dimensional yeah 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 he is and obnoxious um is that a problem the obnoxious part because what he is doing is fundamentally obnoxious the story wouldn't work if it weren't and i think it would be sadder and harder to deal with especially for the younger members of the audience if he wasn't portrayed as being more overtly obnoxious or a bit more of a cartoon villain i get the criticisms there i don't come 
at this quite as hard, though. I think this is actually a pretty good episode that does have problems. It's almost written itself into a bit of a corner with what it's trying to deal with. And I think people are right to point out that the Spike and Twilight dynamic is the best bit of the episode. But I do think there is sufficient pathos and sufficient believability in in Spike's sort of wide-eyed admiration of this, this dragon figure that I can believe why he's doing what he's doing because he so desperately wants it to be true. So I don't have any issue in terms of the way Spike's reacting in this. Stray observations. Slightly thematically odd scene with uh, Twilight walking in on Sludge in Spike's bed. Him sort of rolling over in this kind of seduction pose in his bathrobe. And then Twilight charging out of the room, embarrassed, with the shot framed between his legs, like the famous shot of uh, Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. Mr. Sludge, are you trying to seduce me? Oh, by the way, what's a dragon's favourite rapper? Drake. I know that joke doesn't work. Drake's nobody's favourite rapper. Yes, speaking of the cartoony elements of a quite serious plot point, I do think the the evil eyes in the dark uh, at the end of the musical number is, is, is a bit too much. They really avoided that almost to a fault with Cozy Glow last episode and now here it's sort of ah, ha, ha, ha. but i don't mean it really i'll fool them all <laughs> i'm evil by the way uh, as the sort of mid reviewer uh, the, the review's mid not the, the reviewer mentions yeah the, the writing for spike in general has just been on a roll since yeah about season six I think that's a, a good observation and certainly one I've, I've reiterated time and time again. Just one of the most reliably written characters, one of the most useful multifunctional characters in the show, and just one of the best voice performances. Listen to the way Kathy Weslock delivers the subversion of the big finish line. Uh, I don't know about big, but I am definitely finished. And speaking of the big finish bit... There's a whole lead-up where Twilight can see that Spike is going to crash. There is a fair bit of time where she could, you know, do something with her incredible, princessly, unparalleled magical powers, but instead she takes the time to cover her eyes with her wing and just let Spike faceplant into the ground. Thanks, Mum. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah... I'm really not as down on this episode as a lot of folk. I think it mostly works. It feels like an unfortunate plot line to have picked and a difficult one to balance. And I think in order to make it work in a show like this, it almost seems like they have to make it this sort of mustachioed Hanna-Barbera sort of villain, like dastardly or something. (laughs) I used to do that a lot better when I had severe asthma. But it's a funny episode. There's, there's lots of funny lines in it. And yeah, Twilight and Spike are both really well written. Josh Haber is a writer that just knows the main characters in this show. It feels like there's, a, there's always going to be a base level with a Josh script. And I think it is a nice reminder of both Spike's identity issues 
and what might actually stand in the way of his sense of home and belonging at this point in the show. And just a reminder of what Spike and Twilight mean to each other. Yeah, this is not amongst the best of the season. I mean, it's it's been a season, for me, ripe with, with gems. Uh, so that's a tricky one anyway. But it's not a bad episode at all. I think it's pretty good. Uh, it just has some issues. <laughs> 7.5. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? Right, the poll. The poll. The poll was a bit of a washout again. And funnily enough, the poll did deal with the washouts. But the solitary vote wasn't for the washouts. Which isn't too surprising. Look, it was going against Road to Friendship, which is great. It's a great episode. It's just classic starlight and tricksy business. It may be that it's just generally not a really engaging concept, the polls, but I have a slight suspicion that people are more likely to vote if they disagree with my ideas about an episode. So I appreciate the fact that folk have been expressing themselves using the poll, or if they've not necessarily been wanting to communicate in any grander way. That's cool. I say that not with any conclusive evidence, but because, in my recollection, the two largest voter turnouts in this show have been the episode where I gave the perfect pair a six, and when I gave Surf and or Turf a five. Yeah, uh, if you would like to contact me, um, as always, Twitter, at allplottedout. Email allplottedout at outlook.com. That's all lowercase, all one word, all plotted out at Outlook.com. Or vote in the poll. It'll be available on both Spotify and Twitter. Or you don't need to do any of these things. Just thank you. Thank you for joining me. Your support means a great deal. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, stay tolerant, and stay in the obvious is a really good way of making things abundantly clear that were already clear which in itself is stating the obvious. Uh, ta-ra! Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for. <laughs>